I'll just go with some fun ones and you can. Uh... Ooh, I like fun ones. Let me get a glass of wine before we do that. Okay. <laughs> I might just uh, get a super cut of all the times you mentioning, okay, I'm going to get some wine and I'll put that as a sting at the beginning. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Two Guys, a podcast about ballet hosted by dancers. My name is Keelan, and this week I have very special guest, Annabelle Lopez Ochoa. How are you doing? Hi, Keelan. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing great. How did I pronounce your name? First off, uh, very well. I didn't cringe, so yes, very well. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a good start. We'll save. Maybe the cringing will happen later for a different reason, different question. Yes. Um, so I learned a word today, doing a little research on you. Oops. Peripatetic. And what does that mean? It means traveling from place to place, in particular working or based in various places for relatively short periods of time. Wow. Who's, who wrote this about me? There's a blog about you and that described you in the blog that way. Oh wow! I, I didn't. I didn't use that fancy word, but yes, it does uh, describe who I am and my life. Yeah, I thought that was a good fit. Yeah. So, for those who don't know who you are, you are a internationally recognized, world-renowned choreographer. Mm -hmm. uh, you've worked in a ton of places. I actually, I've, I've tried to count as many all the companies I could find that you've worked with. Yes, uh, I, I'm also counting because I'm losing track. I've uh, choreographed for 61 companies. I counted 65 on your website was 65. <laughs> <laughs> then I lost count. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, 65. If you say so, 65. 65. Do you think you could hit a hundred like in your career? You think hundreds <laughs> like within reach? Within reach. I, I don't know. It depends. You know, uh, the art is very subjective. And as long as you're the taste of the month, people want your work. And at some point, you know, I'm 47, almost 48. At some point, I will have to give my spot to a young choreographer. And I don't have a crystal ball, so I know it's going to happen, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Right now, I have a lot of energy, so I just keep saying yes to every commission that I get, every invitation. And one day that's going to stop, you know, and it's it's the natural way of life. You have to give space to the younger generation. So a hundred, I don't know, but at some point it will stop. Would you be more excited by the idea of choreographing at a new place or returning to a place you're already familiar with? Is there any kind of, is there a difference there? Any kind of priority? That's an interesting question there, Keelan. Um, you know, the dream of every young choreographer is that one day they are asked to be a resident choreographer because it's a safe position. You come back every year and you get to know the company, you get to know the dancers. And, you know, it never happened to me. I've never been after those 65 companies, nobody ever hired me or proposed mm -hmm. uh, that marriage. And maybe because, and, you know, I, I thought about it. Am I sad or disappointed about it? And I'm not because there is a certain politics that you have to apply once you get to know a company. 
um, I like to make very different kinds of pieces. And so I see a company as all these colors that I can use for each different pieces. But once you've worked twice with a dancer, that dance, when you come the third time, might be feeling, you know, left out or looked over because you don't use them in the same way as you did in that first piece where you kind of like, you know, artistically fell in love with each other. And the fact that I always uh, work with new companies, I don't have to deal with, you know, expectations of dancers. It's all new. And I'm also all you know, very honestly looking at the, the roster of dance I have in front of me, and I'm not letting my emotions or past um, experiences with dancers uh, get in the way of the casting, which I think would be best for that piece. So, mm -hmm. yes, I'm always very excited about new companies. It has its pros and cons to come back to a company. You, know, you said you're still, you got lots of energy. I wonder if part of that is the constant newness of what you're doing. You know, there's always an excitement built in because there's it's always fresh. And maybe that would, maybe you might feel that dissipate if you were less peripatetic and you were more stationary. Yeah, that's a good observation. I guess so. I guess that, you know, the, the adrenaline that you feel when you first come into an, a room and nobody knows you and... But at the same time, you know, I've worked with dancers a couple of times and then they start really understanding my language and what mm -hmm. I want. And that's also amazing. So it, it hasn't happened to me yet. I'm not saying that I don't ever want to be a resident choreographer, but maybe all those directors thought, no, she's not that type. She's a butterfly. Or when you're there choreographing and they look at your upcoming schedule and your book solid for the next three years, they're like, okay, well... I guess we'll have to look elsewhere. <laughs> don't, don't crack jokes when I've got liquid in my mouth. Okay, yeah, yes, no, that's indeed, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so I was thinking that I would maybe list some of the awards that you've won, but you've literally won so many that I didn't even write them down. Like there's just so many. So I'm just wondering, do any of them stand well, out? Do you, no, do you I don't. I don't win many awards. I um, gain a lot of mentions, so my work is being noticed. And at mm -hmm. the end of the year, I very often end in the best off that year. Yeah. That's not uh, a lot of lists. Um, but yeah, it's definitely you know when I get an award, it's it's very humbling that yeah. you know because I'm one of those choreographers. I have a gallery of very bad reviews. And so I, you know, I had to learn to deal with, you know, bad reviews and thinking, you know, finding the strength in me to keep believing that my next piece is not going to be as bad as my last piece. Mm -hmm. And then so once in a while, when there's a, you know, a mention in a best of that year or an award, it just uh, reinforces my, uh, the trust that I need to continue. So you'd say that when Dance Europe calls Frida the best show of the entire year. That's like a little pat on the back for you. Mm -hmm. Do you have a shelf at home with any of these awards on? <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Okay. They are somewhere. Okay. Yes, they are somewhere. But you know, as much as Dance Europe calls it one of the best performances of the year, a Dutch newspaper gave it one star. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, and so the newspapers these days. The thing is, is you know, like every big artist say, you you want a reaction from an audience and the three stars is the worst reaction you can have because it's average right. it's okay yeah, yeah it's great for people to feel for example i did a piece uh last resistance in 2018 with a famous singer of holland with the 32 dance of the dutch national ballet and it was basically a rock concert where the audience was just screaming like at a rock concert mm. very bad reviews because i disrespected the temple of the opera house by putting on a show with you know right. so um and at the same time it was sold out and people said yes this is a piece that really brings the audience to come and see another piece right. um but yes i was punished by the reviewers for doing so so you know it's it's i don't read reviews anymore i just need the reviews for my o1 visa which is an American pain in the butt. <laughs> but otherwise, at my age, after 18 years in this business, you know, I just have to accept that I cannot please everyone. And that's okay. I'm reminded of the quote that uh, all the greats have a very short memory. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, if Michael Jordan has a game where he scores 15 points on 30 shots, he doesn't go in the next day thinking, oh my God, is this who I am now? right? You forget about it, you move on, and you come back to what makes you great. And so with a so-called bad review, again, you got to slough those off quickly. Otherwise, they become the thing in your baggage that you're lugging with you everywhere you go. Yeah, but I think as an artist, you're not thinking that you're great. I'm always trying to find a way to tell a story, to convey a theme to an audience. And as an artist, I like not to repeat myself. Actually, I don't feel great when I feel that I'm repeating myself. Then I find it easy. So I like the unknown. And so in that unknown, there's always a risk taking that you can fail. And that's the excitement is that you don't know where it's going to end. And that's why, you know, as an artist, you're so grateful that directors, in, you know, invite you because every time I'm trying something new, um, although they, you know, they hire you for the name that you have and they think, well, you're good. And it's like, I don't know if I'm good. I'm just trying something new and thank you for giving me the platform and hopefully I don't fuck it up. Um, yeah. So yeah, you don't think, oh, I'll go back to my greatness because my greatness would be, well, then I'll repeat what I did with a streetcar named Desire or any piece that had, you know, awards. And, so, and I'm not interested in that. It's just, that's the death of being an artist is to repeat yourself. So we've touched on this a little bit what is your dream choreographic gig? I mean, like extreme big ideas here. Like I think of choreographing the opening ceremonies for the Olympics, which is the biggest show anybody would ever choreograph because it's got like 3 billion viewers. Or what if you could be the, um, you know, somehow the dance consultant for the, you know, the royal family. You know, they have to do a dance at a wedding. Would that be a dream? Or like, is there anything out there that you're like, pie in the sky, that would be awesome? Well, I'm living my dream. So when I was 11 years old, uh, I choreographed for the first time because my teacher uh, came in and said, today I'm going to have coffee. Everybody's going to choreograph. We were 16 dancers. We were going to be divided in eight groups 
two by two, we were gonna choreograph on this one minute of music. The pianist was staying with us. She left, had a coffee for an hour, came back. We presented all the choreographies and I thought, oh wow, this is amazing. There's eight interpretation of this one minute of music. And I remember exactly how the studio looked like. I remember that the sun, it was December. It was the day before the Christmas break, but the sun was shining behind me and it was a white floor and a white environment. And, uh, and I said to myself, if I could just spend the rest of my life in a studio with dancers, I would be the happiest person on earth. And that is my dream. My dream is not big shows. My dream is just being in the studio with dancers that are willing to go on a ride with me. And that's basically what I'm living now. Every time I go into a studio and we're creating new works. I'm going to read a sentence here and you tell me if you can finish this for me, okay? Okay. The best place to be? Is in the studio, creating a new reality, yes. Yeah, I got that from some of your profiles out there. That is what I said, I think, 15 years ago. And that still stands. I remember talking to you, but you, we talked about the different companies you've worked with and you mentioned that you love working with this company in Cuba and the pay is low and the facilities are not the most world-class, but this is, there's something about going there that you love so much. So I guess the question would be, what's it like for you working with a big company versus a little company, working with a big budget versus small budget, working with lots of time and then not so much time? And do you have a preference at all, if anything? Well, specifically with uh, Danza Contemporánea de Cuba, who each dancer there gets paid $22 a month. Um, you know, some of the young dancers actually, you know, they sleep uh, in the staircase of the company. And that is a known fact because they don't have money for the taxi to go back all the way where their parents live outside of uh, La Havana. But then when you're in that, you know, there's no AC, there are bugs and roaches everywhere. Um, the, it's a wooden floor. Um, I don't know. It's what struck me there is the generosity and the we're dancing as if it's tomorrow, there's, there's no tomorrow. We're dancing as this is the premiere. So every little bit that you make, two eights or the first section of four minutes, they are performing it. They're not just going through the steps and judging themselves for, hmm, was it good? Or does she like me? Or my you know, colleague is not going full out, so I'm just gonna you know, take it easy. It's just, they go 120%. And they're so grateful that you're there because they have nothing. I mean, sometimes they, they don't have tomatoes for like two months because the tomatoes didn't, you know, were not brought to their islands. And I don't know if that shapes them as artists. And so what, what attracts me in, in, you know, what is a great rehearsal period for me is when it's the most generous from both sides. When you feel that the dancers are just going to, go on that journey with you and try things out that they might find silly, but out of this silliness, maybe something genius comes out. So that's what, what I felt the most there. And that's what sometimes I don't feel in other companies. You need that buy-in and that willingness to collaborate. Whereas, as well, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, it's unconditional love. You know, like unconditional love is we're here for the same thing. We trust each other, it's trust. And well, that's the thing. We're not always there for the same thing. 
a lot of people are here because the money says they have to be, you know? I mean, but that's, that's, that's what I've learned as a choreographer is as a young choreographer, you don't know how to deal with the dynamic of a studio of a company. There's different, I mean, you have 30 dancers, there are 30 different uh, stories. There's the apprentices who just go, you know, like Bambi all over the place, but it's not, you know, crystallized. Then you have that dancer that is, you know, almost becoming solo soloist. So the soloists are kind of looking like, oh, she's she's upcoming. And then you have these amazing older dancers, but they have to be careful for their body. They cannot go six hours full out for you. They can go two hours. So the first four hours, they're just going to pace themselves. But as a young choreographer, you think, wait a minute, you don't believe in me. So you're just taking it easy, but that's not true. So I had to learn as a choreographer to also deal with all these different dynamics during the day. And of course, the, you know, the interrelationship between the company that I don't know what is going on, you know, what their past is, uh, that is so, but I do feel, you know, um, I always say the best is if the dancers don't like you, then they don't like each other. Because if dancers don't like each other, there's no way I can start and do anything. There's no way. Um, but yeah, it's every day I'm learning about the group dynamic and group psychology. There's always a leader. There's always yeah. a follower. There's always an older person. That, you know, Like it's kind of obvious when you've done it, but from the outside, you might think like, oh, wouldn't it be easier in every way to work with a big company with lots of people who have, you know, the best competition winners, et cetera, et cetera? No, it's, it's, it's definitely not. It, it is very appealing when you're a young choreographer that you think I will have made it if yeah. one of those big companies hire me and commissions me to make a new work, but there's a price to pay. It's that these big companies are big institutions and they don't have much time. So in a small company like WimWim, they'll give you six hours a day for three weeks. And in a big company like the Dutch National Ballet, they'll give you four hours for two weeks. I like those glasses you used in WimWim, those red glasses, yeah. red sunglasses. Where'd you find those? They were online. I wanted them to be, you know, bugs. And so okay. I thought bugs have red eyes. You know, I do a lot of ballets with props. I don't know why, but I do a lot of ballets with props. Now again, here with ABT. Um, but I'm very bad with props. I'm very clumsy. So I'm always amazed by dancers who can handle that prop because I always say, well, you know, you think you're dancing a duet, but actually you're dancing a trio because there's that prop. And that prop is a very bad dancer. So you have to learn how to tame the prop. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Speaking of throwing props, um, we can have a little segue here how into how we know each other. So I guess like the, the season before I joined in Estonia, you went to Estonia to set A Streetcar Named Desire, which is a beautiful ballet you choreographed uh, on Scottish ballet five years before. I was cast as Stanley, who is the male lead in the show. Mm -hmm. And I, I love doing the leads. It's, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had a good time working together. And one of the, I think one of my skills as a performer, and you can tell me if I'm off base here, is going into the dark, angry place, like getting angry and getting scary. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I've done a lot of therapy. And so I've looked at my own darkness. Like I've looked at that stuff. 
Well, we all have a dark side and some people are more in touch with it than others. Yeah. And so there's the moment where uh, in the first act, Stanley goes and he, he angrily turns off the music, mm -hmm. kind of increasingly ticked off that Blanche keeps playing music when he's trying to play poker with his buddies. I go to the radio and I pick it up and I throw it Boom. to the back of the stage yeah. and it's pretty heavy. So you really feel the weight and, and it smashes and bounces around. And then it's the, the fight. And then it's, the, I get, you know. Yeah. Then you hit gets more Stella. Intense. And then I hit Stella. It's kind of followed up with the climactic scene in the show, which is very violent, Stanley towards mm -hmm. Blanche. And going into those really intense, angry places, when the choreographer says, the scarier this gets, the better, mm -hmm. is a really cool place to be. And I thought about this because I thought about like, oh, why is this so natural? Like, why can I do this? so easily and because people would tell me like yo you're really good at this like this is really scary like you're really sinister when you do this i think it's because most expressions of this kind of dark energy are reprehensible and this is a space where we've all signed off on it and it's 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 pretend right and we know where it's leading so there isn't going to be we're not going to push it too far but it's the one place where the darkness is actually a good thing, right? Like yeah. it's for a purpose to, to convey a message and create art. Mm -hmm. And so the darker you can go in yourself, as long as it's actually successfully conveyed to the audience, the more applause you get, the mm -hmm. more people say great job, right? So it's like, you're actually doing a service by going into it. And so that framework makes it feel really safe. Yeah. And so then it's like, oh, you know, like you, you, you do a variation and everybody's watching you. You want to nail your pirouettes because then people are impressed. The way I impress people is how scared can I make you, mm -hmm. right? How much can I make you think that somebody's actually in danger? And, and so I really enjoyed that element of, of streetcar, of doing Stanley. Um, yeah, and like I, I remember I told you, because Alina, so the Blanche character, she was crying after the show um and for her it was very hard to get out of the crying and more blanches have had that it's just not alina it's it's such a journey of that woman um that i always say well you know your a counterpart the stanley always have to hug you right before mm -hmm. you bow it's okay it was just a show don't dwell in it don't think this is real but you know a dancer as light as the piece starts it becomes very very dark and it's very long the Blanche character is there in all the scenes except two and the last scene is, is you and then you know nobody looking at her after she's been assaulted so yeah I remember telling you you have to hug her yeah I remember that uh, so you've worked for many companies uh, mm -hmm. like we said, big, small. Uh, I'm curious if you would be able to kind of regale us maybe with a couple stories. You can leave the names out, but I'm just curious. Um, what's the worst tantrum you've ever seen thrown in the studio? Have you ever seen any like epic diva moments or breakdowns? Two. One, I was a very young choreographer and one of the dancers had been injured. So I made the piece in two weeks and two days. And one of the male dancers 
was injured the second week. So basically he did five days and then he came back the last two days when I was finishing a 15 minute piece. And in the last two days he realized, oh, I don't have that much to dance. So he decided to mark until the premiere, which was 10 days later. Even when the director who didn't know me or my work came to watch, he just, you know, went on 20% marking everything. And that felt, you know, like I wasn't given the support that I needed as a young choreographer. So when I was a young choreographer, I could feel that I would enter a studio and people be like, who are you? Why should I give my 100% to you? you? You're worth nothing. So that's my worst. And then another time is when you have make full length and the second cast of the main character believes you made a mistake. They should be the first cast. And they're going to make you feel it by everything that you say about the character. They question it if it's right. And the thing is, the first cast who that person thought should not have been the first cast was nominated for a prize because I did see something that I thought the character needed to convey, but I needed to get on that journey and explain over and over again. But I felt that that first cast was going on that journey. And the second cast had already the idea about the character, you know, within the reach and the range of what that person loved the way she wanted to dance. So sometimes working with an older dancer is not always you know, malleable, it's difficult to, to move them. Either they're amazing at it or they're stuck within their habits and their beliefs, what they think. And, and that's a hard process because you want them to trust you and that's scary. And at the same time, you want to respect their know-how about the art form and about their career and about who they are as artists. So it's, I, I got really frustrated and then I had to just blurt it out. You have no respect for this process. You have, you know, mm. and that, that was that was tough. It's not fun to be, you know, to be tough like that to a dancer, to tell them in truth that they're wrong. And, and it's tough for an older dancer to see, you know, the first cast be uh, 10 years younger. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's not just the high arabesque or the age it's who is gonna go on that journey discover and really read about a character so those were the two i think difficult moments for me okay but you've never seen like a an epic breakdown of some mega star who you know in a rehearsal just like loses their mind because the pianist is too fast or something no i've had mega stars who are slow learners and you have to be very patient because they're megastars i've had two breakdowns one in cuba one in uh, in russia where i felt usually you know i, I travel the world and i ne i'm never homesick i always am in my happy place when i'm in a studio except when i feel that the dancers don't want to work and then mm. i'm questioning myself what am i doing here so far away from home and so twice i took my bags and left the studio I say, if this is it, what you have to give, basically nothing, I'm wasting my time. So I took my bag and left. And those are very sad moments because then I'm really homesick. And it happens oh, yeah. because of culture clash where, especially with the men, um, are very machista 
And especially in Russia, there's, you know, these are odd movements for them with an odd music that are not exactly an eight counts. And they feel so vulnerable and they don't trust you. They think they look like fools. And then the day of the premiere, these guys come to me and say, we love your piece. And I'm like, but why did you give me a hard time for five weeks? <laughs> so you love it now? You feel cool? You know, but yeah, I had to leave the studio because they didn't want to. It was awful. They were complaining all the time. And but, you know, then it's me learning about this culture, about how uh, male Russian dancers function. And now that I would go back, I would know that it takes time to tame them, to to gain their trust. But at, at the end of the of the right, they'll they'll be in, you know. So that happened there and in the in uh, Cuba. I really like your working style. I was thinking about how I would describe it, and in my experience, which is limited because we just worked together on the one show, I would describe it as firm but fair, and with a reservoir of friendliness. Like it was it was positive, right? It was a good vibe. But we're here to work. Like the goal is the work. But as long as we're doing the work, let's have a good time. Mm -hmm. That might just sound like a really obvious, like good balance to strike, but it often really isn't like that working with people. And well, because I think, you know, I, I do hear stories of, you know, choreographers getting stuck. They have, you know, a writer's block mm -hmm. and that can be scary. And, but then I'm, I'm very, you know, if, if I have that and it doesn't happen often, almost never, then I say, okay, that's it for today. And let's, you know, let's go have wine <laughs> because right now I just don't yeah, know up. more, you know, to do. So what I do when I have the writer's block, then the last 20 minutes of the rehearsal, I'll work with the second cast uh, or I'll coach them on what we've done, but I won't continue and, and get frustrated with myself. You know, uh, it's, it's a very vulnerable position to be a choreographer. I, yeah, I think about that, you know, you walk in and it's everybody's looking at you, especially the moments where they're making it up as they go, right? Like maybe, you know, some people pr probably come in with really clear ideas of what they want, but so much of it is made in the moment on the spot. Yeah. And that it's like, it's so naked. It's like, it's your ideas. And you might literally have a room of 60 people looking at you and they might be 60 assholes for all you know. And they're all looking at you like, yeah. What are you going to do, huh? No, but also, you know, you try things and they don't work out. And you just need, like today, you know, with the ABT Studio Company, you know, I, I have two dancers and there's a balloon and they have to partner, but the balloon is in the way. So you try things out. You're finding a way that it, it becomes fluid. But it's so clunky and awkward and clumsy the first 10 minutes. And if you lose your dancer's trust in those first 10 minutes, then, then you're done, you know? And you need them to be patient because you'll get there. And if not today, tomorrow you'll change everything and, and try something that is not, you know, that idea. But, you know, once again, I like not to repeat myself. So I want to try new stuff and I don't know new stuff. I'm inventing them and discovering them on the spot. So a lot of it doesn't work. And I need to go through that process of it doesn't work until we come to a consensus of what fits your body and this musicality. It's like when you're a student in school and you think that the teacher can't read your face or you can talk to your friends in the back because you're in the back and then you start teaching and you teach your first class 
and you realize you see oh fuck everything you can see everyone's fucking face all the time and if somebody's talking of course you can see it you see the whole room Uh uh-huh uh-huh as a dancer as a student you think what you're doing is invisible somehow because there's a you know there's 12 other people in the room Mm -hmm. just like you but then once you're on the other side it's like a real cold shower of oh my god i need to call every one of my teachers and apologize for Mm -hmm. the bitch face i wore every fucking morning same with choreographing hearing this and hearing the humanity behind it the person behind it it's like right she's not from here this is her first time she's probably jet lagged she's concerned she has less time than she'd like actually the best way to start a process would be to have a party the first day should be wine and you know amuse bush and get to know people because then you see the humanity of everyone of all these dancers you hear the stories you hear a story of the choreographer you see, you already hear what they're going to be struggling about about you know timeline and about you know costumes not being ready and i don't know and then start the thing but you don't have time you come in and you say hi hi and then we go uh, that is, you know, when you work with actors, you sit at a table for two weeks and read the script and discuss about the script and about every character and about humanity and about situations. Um, it would be nicer to start with a dinner. I think you, you actually left something out, I think, which is that uh, very often before that first rehearsal, either the casting has already gone up or you watch, re- you watch class and then that's when you're doing the casting. And so our first, us as the dancers, our first introduction to you, to the choreographer is challenge, is pressure, is, mm-hmm. you know, is the, it's the pressure of I'm auditioning again. You know, I already have the job, but I'm auditioning for her. And if I don't get it, this will be the fourth ballet in a row. I'm not doing a lead or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's the, all of the, our own dynamics and our own drama yeah. that somehow gets projected onto you and you're coming in there innocently just like I just want to make art but the thing is it's not to say say I don't get it but maybe you don't fit the theme of the piece you know and sometimes dancers need to know just be you because it's very specific how they choose as opposed to be stressed and that's why I don't like to watch classes I think that class is temple of a dancer it needs that class to warm up and older dancers have need more time younger dancers are like puppies and they're like throwing their legs up at the bar which is not always very smart so I prefer to you know uh, come with the jumps so I see a little bit of dynamic who's funny who's you know a leader or not and then I do a, a you know a, a two three hours of just movements just to know how people are in those movements and how they react to me, who is reactive, who I feel is connected to me or who is like in the back thinking, yeah, I'm not doing that shit. That happens. And so that's a natural selection. You know, it's not just me selecting the dance, it's the the dancers selecting themselves out of a piece. Okay, so I'm gonna ask a couple questions, almost like a lightning round, but not quite, all right? Have you read your own Wikipedia? A long, long time ago, I was I was really surprised that somebody even did it. Is there anything in there that you'd like to refute on record? I haven't read it for a very long time. Two weeks ago, I was on, uh, you know how you get Google when you your name appears online? Google alerts. Yeah, Google alerts. And so I go 
because maybe there's a review that I can use for my O1 visa. You never know. Mm -hmm. And this was about famous people, my height, my weight, if I was mm -hmm. married, and how much I would earn. And I was reading that to my friend. And we laughed. I was like, why am I on this site? Who yeah. does it? Who has the time for it? Yeah, really? Yeah, so... Who's Who's collecting, like, who's, like, researching, like, how much does she weigh, though? I know. Well, they said I was a millionaire. I was like, oh, I would like to meet that person. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so not super accurate, then, is what you're saying? Not at all, no. Not at all, okay. All right, so if people want to know your height and weight, don't go looking there. They have to DM you directly. Just DM me on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. It'll be the most accurate. Do you find uh, inspiration from like, like really random places? Yes, I have that with painters and paintings. You know, I try to observe and analyze why that is. When I was a kid, we had a Renoir uh, in our house and it was a portrait of a young child looking out. And I swear, I thought that that child was moving. And I really believe that when we were going to bed at night, that child was getting out of the painting and was alive so there's there's a fascination about this frozen moment of what happens before and after so there's a soul in the painting and it's stuck there and it was chosen by an artist and i am as another artist trying to unfrozen that moment so that's why i use a lot of paintings as a form of inspiration for ballet what is the movement before and after fascinating <laughs> average question great answer okay. um do you ever just sit and watch your own videos oh no sometimes and it's not often but sometimes maybe it's times where i'm feeling really low or i just need a like a reminder of who i am i'll just like scroll through my instagram and watch all the videos i've posted and i'll just come away being like yeah this guy's pretty good do you ever on like a rainy Sunday when you're in between gigs, put on a copy of like a premiere of one of your shows that you loved and just be like, yeah, I have won a bunch of awards, haven't I? No, I never watch my work again after it is recorded. Um, I just don't like it. I always, you know, because I'm the crowd for thinking, mm, what could have been done better? So I criticize it. I can't enjoy it. And I'm actually jealous of the audience that comes to a show and they don't know what they're going to see and they get, you know, transported and surprised by the next idea. And I'm not because I know what's happening next. And sometimes, you know, when a director says, can you please send a few pieces? Because maybe there's something for us, for our company. Then I will, you know, look for works and I will watch the first five, seven minutes not the entire work. And I'll be like, oh, actually, it's better than I thought it was, you know? So my memory of a piece is not always accurate. Yeah. I'm going to ask this to like anybody I have on who's like really accomplished. I'm going to ask them the same thing. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see if anybody's ever going to cop to like, fuck yeah, man. Sometimes I'll just put on my shows. They're really good. <laughs> um, we'll see. I uh, think that as an artist, the hunger to make the next piece and to be better than your piece before is because you always feel that you failed. And therefore it gives you that impetus to 
get out of your bed and get into that studio and try harder. Sure. So I think the day that I think that I made a masterpiece, which is, you know, my dream, uh, is the moment that I might think, okay, I'm done. If you could have one of your pieces get huge and it's seen by millions and millions and millions of people, which piece would that be and why? Frida, because it's the story of a real person. Um, because it's about a painting. It's not the show. The, the show isn't pronounced Friday. I thought it was about. No, it's not. But it was about the weekend. <laughs> no, it's. A, I thought it was like a, a ballet adaptation of the movie Friday with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. <laughs> was I wrong? You were wrong. It's about Frida Kahlo, the Mexican painter, oh. and I'm a. Oh, huge that makes fan. a lot more sense, actually. I'm a huge fan of her work because she was not well known when she was a painter, when she was an artist, when she was living. Her husband was much more famous than she was, but she was very personal about her work. And I think therefore she became such an iconic figure in the art and, you know, now you can have Frida everywhere. So yeah, it would be amazing if the piece that I first built at English National Ballet then was, you know, con verted into a full length ballet at Dutch National Ballet, if that piece could survive the years. I don't know. But it's a, a gorgeous story. It's amazing uh, art and love the costumes and the sets and, you know, but, you know, it's the beginning. I made it last year, right before the pandemic started on February 6th was the premiere 2020. Mm. They'd done the nine shows. It was sold out and then all the theaters shut. So let's cross fingers that it comes out of the vault at some point and survives. Would you ever consider doing a ballet adaptation of the film Friday? Is that like too close? <laughs> I don't even know confusing. that movie. <laughs> that's where, bye Felicia. That's where that comes from. Um, maybe, maybe you can watch Friday and just see. Okay. I'm not going to put that pressure on you. Uh, we'll do. <laughs> do you have uh, something that stands out to you as the best show you've ever seen? I'm a huge fan of, Af of Akram Khan's work. <gasps> yeah? Yes. What, what, and what, I uh... saw a show in 2005 called Ma, and my Sanskrit okay. for Earth. And there were five dancers, and it was in Lausanne. And, you know, when, some, when a show is bad, you have a lot of words to say why it's bad. But when a show is good, you're silent because it's just yeah. good. It, it just like takes all the boxes. And for two weeks, I just wanted to tell the world, like I've seen this <laughs> amazing show. So that, and also there was a, a quadruple bill of NDT of four completely different pieces that I thought as a, as a body of work, I was fulfilled for a whole month. I didn't need to see any other work Sometimes I congratulate artistic directors to put the right pieces together because they reinforce each other. They, they you know, elevate each other or they diminish each other, the pieces. So it's, it's, it's an art form to find the best balance in a triple bill. So that, yeah, and you know, I don't know, sometimes you go see a tiny show no audience, like 30 people in the audience and you have the best time. And then you go see, you know, an amazing company with lots of money and you're bored. Yep. It, it really depends the mood you're in or what's on the, on the bill. So I have my own answer for that question. 
there are three shows that to me stand out above everything else. Two of them are by Akram Khan. Wow. So the first one I saw was Confluence, which was Akram Khan and a small group of uh, dancers and musicians. And we saw it because I think, it, you know, it sold out in 15 seconds, but because I was a student at the National Ballet School at the time, I think in my last year, we just got automatic tickets. Mm-hmm. And I saw it. And like you said, Speechless, it didn't compare to anything I'd ever seen. It had storytelling elements, incredible music, like Akram Khan is a genius, like mm-hmm. unparalleled. Or So when he came back to Toronto with a show called Dash a few years later, I took, I told my girlfriend at the time, like I had already told her about Confluence. I said, we got to go see this. So yeah. I love that your first thought was Akram Khan because he is my first and second as well. The other one I saw that was, has stayed with me to this day is uh, I was auditioning in Norwegian National. They too had a quadruple bill and it was all light for Lyon choreography. Mm-hmm. And because a friend of mine who I was staying with there, uh, her family was very much affiliated with the company. We were able to get tickets. Again, totally sold out, but I, was, I got tickets through her. And it was, each piece was so distinct. Each one used a really interesting prop setup. And to this day, like one of the best things I've ever seen. And when I went back to take class and visit years later, I stopped by and I spoke to the ballet master who uh, is now a ballet master, but at the time was one of the leads in the show. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to tell him like, hey, I've never stopped thinking about how great this show was. Like it really impacted me. Your artistry was remarkable back then. Like just, you know, here's a review from your show from like eight years ago, uh, but <laughs> yeah. well-deserved. So that, I love how much of a similarity we have there. Yeah. When is you, what is your horoscope? When are you born? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Taurus. Maybe Tauruses and Scorpios get along. I don't know. Oh, yes. That's great. Yes. You're my uh, complete opposite. Right. Well, we're yin and yang. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything that you would say is unique to your process of choreographing? But how can you say something is unique if you can't comparing to other processes? Like, so the, the really obvious question is like, where do your ideas come from, right? How do you come up with these ideas, right? And so I'm taking that you know, a step further and saying, is there anything that you think is really kind of unique or different, strange about your process? Like, do you have to, you know, run a marathon before a piece to come up with your ideas or? No, I know, don't or, prepare. You know, I got to get blackout I, drunk before I. No, you know, I don't prepare. I, I like to prepare the music. I like to prepare what the piece is about. I read about the theme of my piece. But then I come into the studio and I know nothing. I'm there to get to know the dancers. I try things out that I think might work and then it doesn't work. So I just throw away everything very quickly. And yeah, no, I'm very unprepared. And at the same time, I feel that dancers always say, you. Your, the parameters of the theme of what you want is very clear. And that's true. I like to not give corrections immediately when there's a run through. I just want to feel how they do it and not think, oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. So I have my GoPro and I record it. I have people, you know, make dances, make fun of me because I have this little camera in my two fingers and I just record people. And usually I remember what happened, but in case I don't remember the next morning with my coffee, I'll watch the run and write things down, which I tend to do at the end of a process. So I always start my rehearsal with notes and corrections, and then we do a run through. Um, but no, I don't have pet peeves. No, 
Right. Like I have to wear these, or I have to eat these. Or superstitions or anything like that. Nope. Um, okay, last question before we get out of here. You know, the elephant in the room that we've managed to avoid largely is COVID and its impact on the industry and certainly your job to be in the room with dancers working physically. How do you feel like looking forward at the landscape ahead that it's going to impact your job as a choreographer? Um, yeah, I think when COVID hit on for me was uh, March 17, when I literally fled the States with a $3,000 flight last seat on the flight back to Holland. Uh, and when I started as a choreographer, I gave myself five years to see if I could survive from it. And if I wouldn't be able to survive from it financially, I would go to the film academy because I loved editing. And so when COVID hit and I started making dances through Zoom and editing those short movies, it was like, oh, yeah, that was my passion. That is still something, a, still a dream of me to go to the film academy one day. And I, you know, I found a new way to choreograph through editing images. And so until now, I've made almost 18. Yeah, I've made 18 movies. And now I'm, you know, making movies for dance schools, having 30 students sending me all the, the material that we built in two weeks. Um, but yes, I think I'm like everybody yearning and desiring to go back to a normality to be in the studio with people. Uh, I think that what is going to change and what we're going to keep from the COVID times is to make cinematographic recordings of the works because all the archival recordings that we have of dance pieces are actually very non you know they're not interesting for streaming because they're not well lit they're too far away and I found it you know even as a choreographer very hard to keep my attention on all the dances that I've seen online because they were not recorded for me to watch it on my computer so I think that we've learned that in this year that we were off stage. And that will definitely change. And what else will change is as a traveling choreographer, sometimes you have to pass by a company for five days because you, you know, a stager came before you and you're there to see if everything was done right. I think that Zoom will be one of the uh, channels in which we can invite choreographers to pass by and see the finished products and put the stripes on the T's and the dots on the I's. Um, I will probably use that medium to keep choreographing. Um, so there's going to be less air miles and less jet lag, and it's going to be more healthy and more ecologically, you know, uh, yeah, ecologically better if I travel less by plane. So mm -hmm. yes, there, there are some good things about the COVID period and some frustrating things. But I think in the end, and that's what my piece, uh, ABT Studio Company is about, uh, the theme is Banksy's work. And Banksy's um, alter ego is a rat. And he always, you know, uh, puts some graffiti of a rat writing something or, you know, and he says that rat first is the anagram for art, but also the rat is like art something that will subsist artists find a way to adapt to the situation 
whatever dire situation it is, we will find ways to communicate and to convey something to an audience. And I think during this pandemic, artists have found different ways to continue their art. And yeah, I, yeah, that's what I see around me. And that's what I felt in me. I'm, I'm Banksy's rat. I found a way to, uh, to continue. Um, okay, well, so your next show is ABT with ABT Studio Company, right? Yes, yeah, so we are uh, now in this bubble. So I have two weeks and two days to make a very short piece, 10 minutes, and then we'll record it at Catsban. And it's going to be presented, I think, for the summer program in June or July. So I don't know. Will that be for public consumption as well? Yes, it, it'll be on YouTube at some point, June or July. And we're, you know, it's my second day, so it's the beginning of everything. I have no idea where it's going, but I want my dancers to move like rats. That's the theme. Be a rat, like ratatouille. Yeah, <laughs> just chef it up. Just cook something. Uh, uh, okay, well, wonderful. Uh, people can check that out. I look forward to seeing that when it's available in June or July. Um, people can find you. You've got a website. You've got a YouTube page with a bunch of your previous works. Um, yeah, you're on Instagram, so people can find you there. Instagram, uh, Facebook, Vimeo, YouTube, the whole Twitter, thing. Twitter, Twitter. Yes. Twitter. Um, thank you everybody for listening. You can find us at two, two guys on Instagram. Uh, you can review us in app. That's great. We love that. And, uh, DM us if there's anything you want us to talk about on the show. Uh, really appreciate it. And we'll catch you later. Annabelle. Be safe and uh, love to see you. Thank you, Keelan. Bye. Do you have a sense of belonging anywhere? Dance. Just dance. Dance.